<laughs> hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. And Ariella Anushi. Welcome to episode four. Nope, five. Wow, so close. <laughs> episode five of Embodied Torah. Uh, this episode is essentially entitled Embodied Tefillah. Is that an accurate title? Or is that what we're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why is it Embodied Tefillah, Ariella? Well, Tell we us. had a specific request from a from a listener. Thank you. Um, we started in our alignment episode talking about what it is to be in alignment and that that's really the goal of tefillah and one of our listeners reached out and and asked for more information more theoretical and practical tools about what does it mean to be embodied in tefillah what does it mean to be connected to our neshama connected to hashem and how do we use the the tefillah that chazal put together for us to to accomplish that that's awesome first of all to all the listeners if you have any requests you now see there is a way to get what you want on the show so definitely reach out and do that you can hit up ariella or me um so uh, or you can just leave things in the comments also um yeah so that's obviously really awesome the alignment episode if you didn't see that episode yet don't worry this is going to still be pretty uh intelligible even without that but obviously we always recommend watching all the episodes um so the alignment concept here uh, is really, like you said, it's tefillah, and specifically, how do we access embodiment within the practices of tefillah that we do, that are chazal practices, which I think is, um, I think that's just really cool, because a lot of times we think of, unfortunately, a lot of these, like, again, like we discussed in earlier episodes, like the yoga concepts, and all these ideas are, like, a little bit more new age in some people's minds, and then we have the chazal and the sidur, and that's, like, old antiquated. age, antiquated, and, and archaic, and really, it's actually... That they're plugging into the same mechanics and the same systems, and, it, and if you access that, then it's a it's a really cool uh, shiluv combination of these absolutely uh, these two things. It's it's bo- both in the yoga tradition and and in our tradition there is there is both movement and awareness and 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 tefillah taking place, and it's it's interwoven together. We use movement in order to awaken or quiet. Um, the mind, the body, so that we can be more in connection with our neshama, with our, our high, higher self. It's funny because um, I think, you know, the movements are like the sitting, the standing, the bowing, all these things. I'm just like remembering just when I was teaching in schools or when I was in school myself and like the sitting and standing bit, all that is like, I think for a lot of people, um, it just ends up being like being told what to do, move here, do this, do that, which is the ultimate of not embodiment, which is, yeah. so you can think of this as we're trying to fix that a little bit right now. This is a tikkun for the damage that maybe I would say definitely a lot of us, maybe most of us, maybe even all of us have uh, suffered at the hands of a tefillah system in which we attempt to institutionalize that which is the most personal, uh, an unfortunate problem in the education space and uh, seemingly a problem that is almost insurmountable because the two are not really meant for the same context. I don't know if tefillah should ever be in an educational institution. Did you get grades uh, on tefillah? Sure did. Yep. I was That's also the part of the same thing. Yeah, ever. <laughs> I was a part of a system when I was teaching that there were all kinds of attempts to quantify and evaluate people's tefillah progress, and I don't think I ever once felt like it was a good idea. I Meaning, I don't think there was. I don't want to say there is nothing redeeming because it's hard to say that there's something a situation which is completely irredeemable. But I think it's close. Like we're like ninety nine percent irredeemable. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's uh. So you know that's what we're gonna try to do to fix that a little bit and uh, heal it. <laughs> heal it exactly to heal it to heal the sore and the damage and what's going on over there. So I guess uh, before we actually started this episode, Ariel was telling me something which was new to me, which is that apparently there are more than five senses. So that's an important piece of information, just as a good background for how to uh, think about all of these. 
sensory or body or embodiment experiences that are almost sometimes so implicit in what we're doing in tefillah that we don't even pay attention to them. So maybe Ariel can just give us a little bit of an intro on that, and then we can Absolutely. start to build that into the tefillah side of it. Yeah, so when we think about how we perceive the world, our existence in this world, ourselves, we usually default to the basic five senses. So seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. Right. But there's more. Mm-hmm. There's more. There's at least eight, but really there's, you can expand it beyond beyond this list of eight. Um, but the three that I really want to bring into our awareness is our vestibular sense, our sense of balance, of being upright, mm-hmm. um, that's governed by the inner ear. Um, thank God we can tell when we're upright, but right. it always wants to be center and the body will contort itself as needed in order for the head to be level. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's how we perceive the world with the least confusion right. pos- possible. Um, but we also have our proprioception, which is our sense of where our body is in space. Um, so I know that I'm reaching my hand out towards the camera and I know that my other hand is behind my head. So you can place where these things are. So I can decide, I have an awareness of where I'm moving myself in space, um, which some people don't have, or it can be, can be affected by different experiences, um, internal or external. Um, and then Possibly the most profound one that I really want to bring to, to our awareness is our sense of interoception. Not interception, nice. interoception. A football term. Yes. <laughs> Something else. Um, so interoception is our ability to perceive what is happening within our own body. So when you're hungry and your stomach is rumbling or when you're feeling excited or nervous and your heart is fluttering or, or your blood is racing, your heart is pounding, or for those who have more subtle and, and fine-tuned interoception, you can be aware of tension being held in your liver, anger or, or constriction or flow, anything that's happening within your own body. Right. And um, I know a lot of what I do in yoga therapy in my, in my clinic with people is teaching them how to observe what is happening within our own bodies Um, because we get so our thoughts are so loud Um, but we have the ability to tune in and notice the subtle shifts that are that are taking place within our within our bodies and we can then work with that with our breath with fila with our thoughts um, to find more harmony and balance right that's very cool. I mean, this is kind of this is just again, this was like a general introduction just from the embodiment place, um, just to sort of give an idea of of what embodiment kind of includes all of these different aspects. But I just think um, it really never fails. I think uh, there are these things that we learn when we're like five or ten, and we just throw them around, and they're almost always such an oversimplification. Always. And like, <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I want to say always. Also, again, twice now, I, I, there's been a situation of saying. Almost like a, an extreme, like black and white, like this is irredeemable. And this this example, it's like always things that we learn when we're younger. There's always more to them. I mean, like a situation where we've learned there are five senses. And as you're just articulating that, I'm like, of course, there are more than five senses. Because it's, sense, it's, it's similar to something we discussed a few episodes ago about how the body can be broken apart into like infinite components almost and how there's there's 248 positive mitzvot that correlate to 248 parts of the body but there every mitzvah can be broken apart into many sub mitzvot or can be compiled into one giant mitzvah right. and it's the same thing here it's like of course we have so many different senses of awareness 
of what's going on in our body. And sometimes we lack awareness and learning to develop the awareness and actually activate it in areas that I, so, I, I, I'm sure so many people feel this way that you're, we're out of touch with our bodies uh, when we should be in touch with them just because, our, as you said, our thoughts are very loud. Even if you're just overthinking something and stressing about it and then you're sitting in a weird position and your body is suffering from that and you don't even realize it's happening because we're so embedded in what it is that mm-hmm. we're doing. And there's a million examples of that. People not even knowing they have to go to the bathroom. Like just yeah. ongoing, endless examples of not being aware of what's going on in our bodies. Um, and so obviously that's really uh, such, an, it's, it's such a clear description of like even just the sense of whether you're upright or not such a basic sensory phenomenon that we and all we take use it for granted completely but so. when, once we bring our awareness to it then we can first of all be grateful for it which right. is such an important part of tefillah being grateful for the fact that we function and that we can thrive and we can flourish um, right. in this in this body and in this world but also um Oh, I just lost my train of thought. All right. Well, it's also part of the body. <laughs> Choo-choo. It is a train. Exactly. Well, I guess um, we can just take some of these ideas and just um, we can roll them on the train of thought to the next, to the next stop, which I, I think um, what uh, probably the probably the easiest thing to talk about is just like first, just physical movements like we mentioned, like standing up, sitting down, things like that, that are just these are often just in the background of tefillah. I think I think there's like different areas of struggle with tefillah itself. There's like there's the sitter. There's boredom that people sometimes feel or repetitiveness yeah. of the sudur, and there's different parts of the sudur. And there's also just the environment, which is obviously things like just being, whether you're, if you're going to shul to the synagogue or whatever, like that's one piece of the environment. If you're just, if you feel, then there's also your interior environment, just in terms of things that you're feeling on a given day. Um, but then there's just like the, in some ways, almost the most subtle, which is just the movements themselves. Like, are you mo- like moving while you're doing tefillah? And and then there's halachic bowing things like that. So maybe let's just start with the with the bowing, and try to like do it. concretize that a little bit. What exactly it is, and then how to fit it into this larger structure. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So I guess um. Uh, so maybe I'll just give like a like a quick overview for a second of like the concept of bowing in halacha, and then or, or you want to talk talk about it first? I think before we go into bowing, actually, we just need to talk about standing for a moment. Okay, We've touched about cool. upon this in in some of our previous episodes, the the alignment um, and, and even the perm episode where the relationship of of the support of the earth and the force of gravity mm-hmm. holding us, right? right? So when we're standing, we can be we can be propping, we can be holding ourselves up, or we can be in a state of collapse where we're sitting on the chair and we can't even bring ourselves to stand up. Right. Um, and, and so just being in, in a state of standing before we go into the movement of bowing, what's the what's the relationship of what's the level of effort that I'm putting in? How much am I surrendering that effort to Hashem and letting Hashem hold me here through the forces that he created mm-hmm. of the support of the earth and, and gravity. And, um, and I, I know for myself when, when I find that place where I can let my shoulders soften and I can allow my, my spine to come into its natural curvature, the ability to access my voice, the ability to to breathe more deeply, the ability to quiet my mind all becomes so much more accessible. So mm-hmm. before we go into any kind of movement, just finding how we can stand with with minimal, I don't know if I want to say minimal effort or, or, or maximum support from Hashem. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Allowing Hashem to hold us, allowing Hashem to breathe us. Um, 
and just be, being aware of that, it's on the one hand, it's the simplest thing. You're just standing, right? In yoga, we call it Tadasana, mountain pose. Mm, and everyone's right. like, okay, this is the easy one. I'm like, no, right. this is actually one of the hardest right. poses to do because it's on the one hand, so obvious and so easy, but, right. but really to find that place where, where you're channeling Hashem is right. Not it's, so simple. Right, it's easy, but not easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just starting off by taking, becoming aware of how much weight are my, are my feet allowing to go into the to the earth? Right. How much of that support is rising back up through my body, and and then engaging with tefillah right. from that place. Okay, so I guess so. Um, so let's look at it like this. Maybe maybe this is a good way to describe it. It's like there's a lot of parts of tefillah, like the. That just following the procedures of the sidur where we're sitting, and there are parts where we're standing, yeah. and then there's like these I would even say anomalous things like bowing, because bowing is like this it's it's not sitting or standing, right? Um, so maybe sitting is a good place to start. Now I'll just mention that um, as an example, like in uh, in Parshas Toldos, there's like this story about how Yitzchak is trying to give a he wants to give a bracha, whatever that is, um, to his son Asav. So the way he does it is he basically is like, oh, bring me food, and then once I eat, then I'll be full, then I can give you a bracha. And there's like this theme in that story, which is not only there, there's other places also where we find it, but it, it kind of fits a lot of what we do kind of as Jews nowadays, where we eat in order to like, to, to celebrate. Yep. And it's because eating seems to be this thing that it's, it's relieving. In other words, we're hungry, we feel stress in our bodies, we want to like, we, our bodies require... Um, sustenance to regenerate to strengthen themselves and when we eat we also enjoy that and there's a there's a pleasure to the eat to the taste of the eating which is very it is and pleasure essentially is the relief of the tension of wanting something and then getting it and so I always felt like for me sitting in tefillah always triggered the, those kinds of thoughts because it's like you know you're you get to you get to school or shul or whatever and then like you're getting ready you're standing whatever and then when you can sit down it's like okay <laughs> exactly now we, now we can just chill a little bit yeah. And so, like, that almost feels like it starts off being like this, like this release and this relief process that's going on in the background. And then, and this is just me personally describing my experience for a second, but I wonder how, how universal this is. At a certain point, when you're sitting for a while, so you get so relaxed that you start to space out because now you're just kind of like you've just been sitting for a while. And then when you stand up from that, it kind of wakes you up. And then mm -hmm. it sort of, it like, it, it, it triggers, like, activation of some kind. So, and then there's, it almost feels like maybe that's like a, that's like a pattern. Like there's like a flow going on from like sitting to standing to sitting again for Kriyashma, then standing again for Shimon Esrei, and then sitting again for Chazar Sashats, maybe. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, what's interesting is when, if we talk about standing, so what's the source of support for the body? Just through the feet. Right. Once you're sitting, you have way more sources of support. And the nervous system is able to, to settle a little bit because you're, I mean, the, the nervous system, the musculoskeletal system, everything is a little bit more supported. You have to use a little bit less effort in order to keep yourself upright. Right. And that, and that opens up the mind to be able to, to wander a little bit more, more easily. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this sway this movement from from sitting to standing is yeah be comfortable but right. also stay engaged and um yeah it's uh, it's 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 powerful i'm just thinking about um <clears throat> years ago when i was dealing with some serious illness and get standing up from a chair was without someone's help was not 
really possible. Right. And, um, and it was really, my, my mind went into a very judgmental place of, of you're not supposed to be sitting for this part of davening, stand up. Mm, right. and, <laughs> and it took me a while to like let go of those inner critic um, judgmental voices. And, um, and even while I was sitting, I, I said, okay, I'm sitting, but, but mentally, emotionally, energetically, I'm standing. Right. So even if we're not physically able to stand up for a specific part of tefillah, we can bring ourselves into an, an energetic, mental, emotional state of standing, even if we're still sitting. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I actually had to give counseling and advice to people over at different situations where they felt those types of feelings, the self-judgment of like, I'm not standing and just telling them like, that's not the halacha. Like you're not supposed to stand if that's, if you're sick to that extent, yeah. obviously it's not even a question. And people just feel like, well, I want to do the right thing, yeah. but that's not the right thing. Cause halacha is not a, it's not just like a fixed system. It's a, it's a way to be in your circumstances. Right. Like in the moment, what are you and what are you meant to be doing and what can you do? And so, but the but that example is so profound because it just basically articulates that if these are tools to activate their body tools to activate internal processes, so then you don't necessarily have to use the body to do that in cases where you can't. So I think I think I would take it one step further. There's there's the external pressure of this is what I'm supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? Even if it becomes an internal pressure of this is what I'm right. supposed to do, but I think that there's an internal desire of this is what I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. These right, are the habits sure. that I've created. I'm I know myself in tefillah in this movement in this position, and I can no longer access myself in this in this scenario, right. but there's also an opportunity here. Hashem, when we, when we are in a place of illness, of illness um, where, where we're prevented from being able to get up, to stand up with, with ease, with comfort, with stability, we're meant to be resting. We're meant to be doing some sort of internal work, um, internal healing. And, and we're often so focused on the physical healing, right? The, but there's, but there's spiritual healing that's able to take place. How can I let go of the thoughts, my preconceived notions of what's supposed to be and allow what is right now in this moment to shine, to, to, to heal. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. I, uh, I just, I love the idea of, um, of learning to do something without doing it. I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So also noteworthy is that these patterns of sitting and standing and sitting and standing or whatever, they also track specific parts of the things that are in the Siddur. So for example, um, we sit for most of Sukkot Zimra, uh, but then for the, for the back end of it, like the second half, then we stand. And there's also, there's also a shift there in Sukkot Zimra itself, where right. it's first it's parts of Tehillim, and then it's mainly just quotes of, of Psukim. And so, and then it ends, it culminates with like Az Yashir. And I think, again, like this is kind of like um, one of my teachers, right? David Foreman has this phrase he uses called the lullaby effect, which is like things that we've said a million times. So they lull us to, to sleep yeah. at this point. But like, if you kind of um, read the Chumash without ever having seen it before, meaning pretending that you're erasing it from your mind, Az Yashir is like this pinnacle situation. Absolutely. Which like, imagine Bring like... Bring me my tambourine. <laughs> right. Like imagine just like every day, like reviewing like the most profound experience of your life. 
like that could be a very very intense thing to start your day with and kind of orient yourself and took it as is actually it's all it, it's all supposed to relate to the layer of emotions in other words it's the you could think of it as the section of conviction because it's really it's it's analogous to olam hayetzirah which is like the that's the emotional level or the or the the intentionality level the conviction level of our being and of, and of hashem's being in the world so I just like that. So the the sitting for for part of it, which makes sense because it's like you're relaxing, you're you're just you're just feeling and being and sort of singing from a place of you're actually supposed in halacha you're supposed to actually say the words of Zimmer like very slowly and like just kind of like let them flow, but then you've got to stand up and suddenly you're starting a completely different phase and now it's like you're activating yourself in almost like an excitement type of emotional state, and that's like that 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 just in, I'm just thinking this out loud right now. I'm kind of again I never really thought about this until I'm saying it now. Yeah. At the standing really parallels that. In other words, you're now standing to like, to do Az Yashir and the Pesukim that lead up to it that are like reviewing everything that we are with Hashem, Him saving us and it's like, now we're on fire to then do the next part which is then Berchus Kriyashma which is like a whole different thing entirely. It's not singing at all. It's like a specific mitzvah with preparations and particular meanings and so this is all like emotional um, catalyzation. Is that a word? Catalyzation? It's a better word. Catalysting? No, it's going to be a catalyzation. It's <laughs> a better word than that. But it's like, it just ignites all of that, it feels like. Does that make yeah. sense? The way you describe it, it felt a little bit um, like disjointed, that we're going from this state to this state. Yeah. But I actually think that there's there's a calmness and a flow that we can bring into the activation mm-hmm. of of standing up and 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 az yashir that it doesn't have to be this ah right. kind of energy it it can be a more subtle awakening um a more supportive and calm awakening and and being in that kind of flow um, right yeah, I definitely, I definitely depicted it in a disjointed way. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of living that, but it doesn't have to be that way, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, conceptually, these things should definitely flow. I, I actually need to, now that I'm just saying this out loud, I feel like I need to do a little more research into, there really are two halves to Psuket Zimra, and they're broken in half by like a, a bunch of phrases that are designed to be a, a demarcation. So I'm, I'm curious what the underlying uh, dynamics are for that, because it's supposed to be one layer. In other words, that's supposed to all be olama yitzira. So, like, there's two different pieces to that. So, I feel like there's probably a reason for that. Okay, well, more that, to come. Exactly, be that as it may. Um, so, I guess with that as like a dynamic mechanics side of it. So, so then Shmon Esrei itself is also this very interesting thing. I mean, compare Shmon Esrei, like sitting during during Kriyashma, and then going into Shmon Esrei, which is standing. But it seems mm-hmm. like it's different now because Kriyashma, the dynamics of sitting there, are are supposed to be like, I, or at least the dynamics of Kriyashma intrinsically are about trying to build out from what we just came through, which is the the Pesuket Zimra, like sort of seeing who Hashem is relative to us and like trying to see that emotionally to then like saying, okay, now we have to access the beginning of the unifying of ourselves with Hashem. That it's like, even though we saw Hashem saving us, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, Hashem created the world, all the things that we say in Sukkot Zimra, now it's like, but us but us and Hashem, we're actually one. So we start to like, look at that by saying, Shema Yisrael, Shema Hashem Echad, which is basically the idea of like, well, we are part of this larger thing, and it's all one giant story that we're kind of inside of. Yeah, so a thing about Shema in terms of sitting versus standing that I that I think is important to mention here is that um, saying Shema slowly is like a thing that, that you're supposed to say it slowly, meaning like say all the words, you're actually supposed to say it with the 
with the simanim, like the trap. Yeah. Um, and it's supposed to be like a, a process that you kind of do, um, I don't say just incrementally, smoothly almost. And the Gemara has this language there about like how, in Masechus Brachos, about how like people who can't do that, then they're they're like tasting the fire of Gehinom, something like that. Mm. I can't remember the exact language it uses, but it references it like with Gehinom. So the reason is because the the theme of Shema seems to be that it's about trying to uproot the conception that we have of what's called Shtei Rishuyot. That like there are two, there's two domains. There's the domain of good and the domain of evil. And that's a Christian concept, basically, that there is Hashem. And then there is Hashem's opposite, this, you know, his counterpart that like he's in battle with. Right. Which is really just us. Like we are actually experiencing reality as if there are two opposing forces. There's good and evil. And so, um, but Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad is that there's nothing outside of Hashem. The, even the things that are bad are part of the story, and they give context that like we spoke about with the Purim episode. They give context for us to be able to do things that matter because there's actually the option of doing things that are distorted. And so with Shema, it seems to be like this, like like you're supposed to let yourself casually almost, in a very like relaxed kind of way, allow yourself to see the world that way. And let, it's almost like Shabbos. You're trying to like let go of the obsessive fixation that we have of that's wrong and this is the right thing and these things cannot be cannot ever meet instead it's like you're supposed to almost like again a little psuket is in revive of like singing that's what we say with the simanim to like enter the headspace of the unification which is like olam habriya right. essentially which is shema so that's that could be maybe what the sitting dynamic is yeah, it's also like a, a, a receiving of this of this reality, this flow, this connection. Right, exactly. And and once we receive it, then we can have the audacity to stand up in front of Hashem. Right. What face to face. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that, that that leads in nicely into the bowing. Before we get to that, let's just like, let's like lay out the Shmon Esrei part. But yeah, I think that's like, like when Shmon Esrei starts, like the whole process of Shema is like, we say, we, we try to create that and then we end off with the bracha of Gal Yisrael, which is like, the Geula is like the freeing, right? It's like now we, we made it out of like the, the narrow space the of Mitzrayim. Exactly, the, the, the Mitzrayim again of like, this is bad, this is good. I understand everything in its categories. Said it's like we're above all the categories right. now. We see everything beyond that. That's Olam Habriya. And then at the end of that, it's like, okay, so now we can really fuse with Hashem into Olam HaAtzilut, which right. is like the eight cellness. Moving of out together. of slave mentality right. and and into being worthy of standing up in front of Hashem. Right. Exactly. Because now we're actually, and that's, Receive. that's the, the, now we're actually, like Hashem Sfatai Tiftach, like the phrase that we say in the beginning of Shemun Esrei, uh, it's like Hashem, you open my lips and then I will say your the reflections of you um, which is hilarious if you think about it, like just the language there. It's like, well, who's doing it? Is it Hashem doing it, or is it you doing it? Yes. And and the answer is yes. <laughs> like we spoke about with like this dynamic of like that's Moshe is the one who reached that completely all the time. He's in a state of of constant um, real tefillah like that, which is where he was simply him and Hashem channeling as him simultaneously in this paradoxical oneness. So then here, that's what we're saying at the beginning of Shmuel Esrei. We're basically saying. Um, like I, it's you, it's me. We're one. And open I've, me up to right. to let to let your praise flow through me. Right, and we basically traversed the sh- the Shema dynamic. So now where we're standing, because now we are, we're Hashem in the world. It's like the, just to use the language of the Ramban in Parshas um, Vayishlach, when he says the language there is that the pasuk says Vayikra uh, Hashem calls Vayikra lo El Elokei Israel. That Hashem calls Yaakov El. And the Ramban there basically describes how it's this. It's like when you are a channel for Hashem, 
So then you are you're a power now. You're an L. You're a vector. You're like you're 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 someone who's doing something. So that's why we stand because it's like that seems like it really fits, right? Like that all makes sense. And then yeah. Can stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so with all of that, so then um, so now the question is like, okay, so I guess bowing within that. I mean, the standing of the Amida is different than the standing that we did before, right? Right. It's with your with our feet together. We're we're not we're not moving around. We're not swaying around. I mean, there's the the shuckling that that people do, but it's um, it's a much, on the one hand, more stable because we're not moving around. Right. But also less stable because your feet are together and your center of gravity mm, is much. That's cool. Right. So it it requires a quieting of the mind to. A, a focusing, a gathering of the senses, if you will, to to be able to be present in that space without mm-hmm. falling over. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Just how the way our feet are positioned, it actually is inherently destabilizing. It's designed to make it that we are yeah. we are immobile essentially, mm-hmm. that we can't move, and that we're like the malachim who are who are essentially they are they are fixed as channels. For Hashem's presence in a particular form, so we're essentially now trying to operate for some temporary period as a particular channel of Hashem's form. Form it's not really the right word, but like Hashem's self into the world in that way. So I think just think that what's what's interesting about this about the standing uh, and with all these things, they're really they act these all so, sort of serve as tactics for how to think about our body's position throughout tefillah. In other words, sitting um, in one way. It's like a relaxing sitting versus like, which, which is for the same, for the emotional freedom, emotional release. Then there is standing for, for the second part of that, which uh, unclear exactly what that is, whether it's to activate, to be more excited or excited in, or, or to be more activated in the process of emotional conviction in some form. And then Birchus um, Kriyashma is sitting to, um, to essentially allow ourselves to receive the oneness of Hashem and to not be so attached to the Gehenna dynamic, just just to clarify that, also by the way, Gehenna is is essentially the feeling of futility that that derives from constantly viewing existence as these oppositional forces of good and evil, right. because it's it's this feeling that what we do is essentially it's a, it's it's almost like a war that can't be won, as as opposed to sort of seeing it as one giant story that actually has something beyond it. The futility of existence is really is powerfully embodied in that perspective. So, um, so yeah, so be able to relax to receive that and then standing this way in the Shimon Esrei part of it, which is essentially a completely different kind of standing, just like a standing to fuse with Hashem to act as almost like a, it's almost like an antenna. Yeah. It's like you're a lightning rod, right? Like you're trying to attract Hashem Absolutely. through you. Exactly. I think it's, it's interesting. You're, you're, you're emphasizing the sitting and the standing, but if we go back to what we talked about in the, I think it was episode two, the breathing yeah. episode, we have four parts of the breath, right? We have the inhale and then there's a little pause and then we have the exhale and then there's a little bit of pause. So I can't help but wonder if, if all of this movement is to, to creating these opportunities for, to break out of, to, to realign, to um, refocus, like reset intention. States. Like, right. okay, you've been sitting. Now, take. It. Where's where's your breath? What's happening in the synapse? What's happening in that space in between? Mm-hmm. Are you just going on autopilot, or or is there an opportunity to? Has your mind wandered? Sometimes you you're sitting for a while, and you can be saying the words, but your mind is actually somewhere else, and then you shift states. 
And it creates this little opportunity to be, okay, nope, here I am again. Here are my thoughts. Here's my awareness. Here's my intention. And and really using those quite literally through the breath. I know when I'm, before I I start my Amida, I take my three steps back and I always take a full breath in and out. And I become aware of my my mind in a different way and and my body in a different way. And sometimes right. I'll I'll be like, I'm not ready to to step forward and and stand in front of Hashem yet. I need to take another breath. Right. And really making sure that we're that we're not falling into the trap of autopilot, but we're using our embodied awareness to to be as present as we possibly can be. Right. You know, I, I think it must be all of those things. It just it makes total sense that it would be. Um, I probably it I think you know I try to articulate it this way I like to concretize it for myself a little bit because I tr- I, I like to link things to the themes of the Sidur itself mm-hmm. because I think that there are um, there are distinctions you know like Birchos Kriyashma has Brachos before Brachos after Sukim in the middle Sukim Zimra Bracha before Bracha after Sukim in the middle so but it seems like I mean, this is really I, I just stole this from Rav Cook. I mean this is like his when he describes some of this in his commentary on the sitter so like he's not the only person I mean the Kabbalah wise this is all over the Zohar but like the idea essentially of like that each of these pieces of the Sidur have like different correlate phases of the Olamot like the the layers of existence so that's I think um, like I, I like to try to like to like link those together as much as I can to really see what it is. But I think that you know what you're saying is what you're, and what you're what you're illustrating is that a lot of it really just depends on on the, per, the person where they're at that day and in that situation, um, because the sukim of, of Shema, the sukim of Sukkot Zimra can easily bring you to the headspace of Shema. I mean, they can. Yeah. It's built into the words. Um, the sukim of of Shema can bring you to the headspace of, of Sukkot Zimra too. There are plenty of ways to do that. I mean, the second paragraph of Shema is all about nature. Nature. It's about like Hashem taking care of us with rain and sustenance, and it's a very natural side of existence. So it's. Uh, I think all of these things, in many ways, are inter interspersing with each other in our personalized experience. Which is also, just by the way, as an important aside, um, that's that's you know when I talk about the Chagim, sometimes we actually did this a little bit with the Purim episode. Like the Chagim are also like we think of them as like there's there's specific energies for each one. But they're just, they're just, um, we go, you can go through all of the Chagim's energies in the span of three seconds on any given day. Yeah. So it's like, it's about accessing these things and kind of getting good at accessing them and having the awareness and like knowing what each of them is, like what you're saying, like knowing, okay, so like, well, am I feeling a certain thing right now? Do I need to breathe well, that's longer? What the, well, that's what the benefit of the repetition is, right. that we have set tefillah that we say every day, what's changing? us right and how much are we becoming aware of the subtle shifts that are taking place within within us from throughout the day throughout the week um throughout the month right year um but we can but that that set structure really lends itself to to us becoming aware of how we're how we're shifting and growing or falling and right. growing because <laughs> life is like this right <laughs> full of ups and downs and and then we can become more aware of what our what our spiritual needs are what our mental emotional needs are and even what our physical needs are because if you if we are physically in pain we can't we can't access the mental emotional and spiritual growth um, in its most ideal state right. um, and and really really acknowledging all of that together and the the interplay that they all have with one another 
Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's just it just that's just very spot on just in terms of how to think about these things. I especially like the, I mean, I've heard that 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 framing of like we're the ones who are changing, even if the seed doer doesn't. It's a useful framing to sort of reactivate our relationship with some of the language in the in the seed doer. But I think that it's um, it's very powerfully true. In other words, I think unfortunately, often when the seedur is taught, it gets taught as like this is tefillah. Like the seedur is tefillah, and like if you don't connect to the seedur, then like you're not doing tefillah. And it's like the seedur is a tool for, <laughs> for tefillah, tefillah. <laughs> right? And so then it's like the idea of like reading a poem, for example, which a lot of is what Sukkotism essentially is: is you read a poem. So then you can have thoughts and that you can figure out what you're feeling and why you're feeling it and to get a sense of what's going on inside yourself. And that's what's supposed to happen here, but not in a sense of like, that it's like you're, it's not self-centric, that like, oh, it's about you. It's not, but it's not not about you either. It's about you in relationship with deeper you and relationship with other yous, other people, and relationship with larger existence, aka Hashem. And then to be able to use these tools, I mean, you can try to use like a, a poem from somebody from 200 years ago, if you want, but like these are or write your are, own, <laughs> or write your own, yeah. And but and I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but these are poems that are written by people who who develop the technology essentially yeah. of of consciousness breach and consciousness exposure and consciousness bridge and like they the, the language itself. And again, unfortunately, because English speakers, we have a harder time with the language. But like you know, even like the word vayomer, it's like this like oh, it just means and he said. But the word amar means to differentiate yourself. And when I speak, I'm literally taking this endless world that I am inside and I'm putting it into a little package and shipping it out into the world. Like that's like a tiny, very simple thing that we all do all the time. It is crazy profound. And just that one word, literally, Rashi, Rashi quotes the Midrash in Parsha's um, uh, Kitavo, where he says it, the language there is Laha Amir is where it's used there. Mm. It's a very weird usage of the Shoresh of Amar. And he says, what does it mean Laha Amir? And he says, it's a language of, of distinction. And Hashem singled you out. He wow. differentiated you. And so the word amar, which is just, you know, it's one of those words that's thrown around everywhere, like, and it just it just thrown into the Chumash in, in random places. And each time it means that a person is now, they're, share, they're downloading themselves. I'm sharing myself in a concretized form. So, like, the Hebrew does that. It's wired to create consciousness awareness. I mean, if instead of me saying the word saying, I said the word consciousness download every time that I was going to speak. I'd be like, I'm about to do a consciousness download. You better believe that everyone's <laughs> going to start thinking that way when they're around me or think that I'm crazy. <laughs> probably, but like, probably Or second. both. <laughs> maybe, hopefully both. But the point is that like the, in Hebrew, that's exactly what's happening. Like, that, those yeah. are the words that we're using. But because we don't speak Hebrew so well, if we're English speakers, so then we have a harder time just naturally rewiring our minds to actually think those thoughts. It goes back to also the Siddur in general. It's like rewiring our minds and how to think about standing, sitting, all these things. We, have to, we actually have to like install the connections between the concepts and the actions because the actions were like improperly installed in the original installation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. A lot there, yeah. A lot there. All right, let's... You said you were going to start off with bowing. I know, I feel like we have to... And we, we haven't gotten so we have to, there So we have to wrap with bowing. So we're going to wrap with bowing. Um, I think there's going to be a part two to this episode. Because well, there's a lot more that we wanted we, we to have, touch we on. Also, we need to talk about speaking, speaking, saying words out loud, hearing words, singing. Seeing, there's a lot of things yeah. there. Yeah. So those are all sorts of feel of things. So let's just... We'll wrap with bowing. And then for the next episode, we'll go into the speaking and singing and listening and all these other body things that we do during tefillah that, again, are super subtle, that are just embedded. Um, so I guess what I wanted to say before with the bowing, sort of introducing it, is that um, when we bow, we're kind of, we're lowering ourselves in a certain way. In other words, it's like this weird in-between, between sitting, where you're lower, you're at rest more, um, 
but you're as and standing because you're still standing when you're bowing so like part and there's also a couple of different ways to actually do bowing but the way that I always like to like describe this to people how to think about bowing is from the word from the word berich right because there's a bending of the knees right which is like and that's also it's actually historically like people used to bend the knee like tichra berich as we right. say in Alenu, like um, to a king or to a, a superior person or whatever. Um, and so a lot of times people have, a, have, a issue, have an issue with that because it sounds like, oh, this is a very who's better than whom kind of thing. Like, I'm better than you, you're better than me. It's very hierarchical in a certain mm-hmm. competitive type of way, which in today's world is, that's like the, the, the cultural um, currency today is like, it's all about We're all who, equal. Right, <laughs> we're all equal because it's extremely insensitive to be better than someone else. But the irony is that like, that we also, we are all equal on the neshama level. In other words, we are, we are all one self, really. Yeah. But in terms of our tools that we each have, we're all completely different. And the concept of bracha and berech is essentially about that. In other words, if there is a person who is, let's say you, if you have a boss at your job who has all the knowledge and experience, so you can think of them as like a well. They have like this huge pool or this huge container of everythingness that you need in the context of the tools of that job. And then you want to draw from that into you yourself, which is below them in terms of the abundance of those things. Mm. They have more of that, which is why the Rishonim will say the Lashon of Bracha is Lashon Ribui. It's like, it's a language of more, of there's, there's abundance, there's moreness. Right. And so we, if you have less than them in that, then yeah, they are above you. But not above you in an ego neshama no, sense. No, in a, in, a, in a place of being able to receive. Like the exactly. water is going to flow from from the higher level down, exactly. down exactly. to the lower level. And so the concept Beautiful. of... It's, and, 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 and it also it, it purifies an otherwise tainted dynamic. Yeah. Because if you start to think of your boss who knows much more than you on the level of neshama as being above you, then you have a hard time speaking up to your boss. Because it's like, oh, he's better than me on the level of essence, on the level mm. of self. But he's not. Right. It's like it's the boss is just someone who has more of something in the realm of things, and that's something which you can benefit from without having, that having anything to do with the with, with your, your assessment what, of yourself value. as being someone exactly. Right. And so it can, it erases yeah. insecurity. I mean, it's very powerful this yeah. way of seeing it. So and so then what ends up coming out of that? I mean, that also that solves all the the sexism things, the racism things, all these all the isms uh, that are kind of going on are, are a, a a a mixing together of self. And, and, and attributes. So if that all, just with that all as a background, so then when you, when you are, when you have, when you're korea berech, like when you basically are bending your knees, what you're doing is you're basically saying, I want to now lower myself before the source of all the, all the moreness that there is, so I can make myself a receiver, by, because the way, the way a brecha actually works, a pool is lower, and that's why it can receive. Right. But it's interesting because when you go to sit down, you're also bending your knees, but your but your upper body is staying completely the same. Right. But when we're when we're bowing down, there's a bending of the knees, but there's also a lowering of the heart. Right. And um, I know for, based on my my influence from from yoga practice, there's I'm always seeking out length throughout my spine. Right. Mm-hmm. So when when I bow, I'm not. There isn't a collapse. 
I'm maintaining uh, spaciousness throughout the heart center, both in the front and the back of the heart, because um, the the the, art, the openings of the heart are actually in the back of the body, not the mm-hmm. front of the body. So when we do heart opening, we actually want to make space, make sure that we're That's maintaining cool. spaciousness in the back of the heart, which mm-hmm. we often forget. But um, there's a bending of the knees, and then there's there's a lowering of a heart, not not a collapse, not a hunching, not a, not a hunching, exactly. Right. And and going back to the 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 antenna visual that you gave uh, of standing in Amidah that yeah we're really trying to channel Hashem so if I collapse down I lose that 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 alignment that that flow that connection throughout the nervous system which is the highway of of our senses right um and and so it's a little bit different than when you're when you're sitting and you can Relax right. back. There's there's a lowering a heart of the heart, but then also when you when you come back up, there's there's also a filling of the heart, a lifting of the heart. Uh, sometimes I've I've had this image almost like um, like like Hashem is is kind of lovingly just saying like yeah you can right I giving think exactly permission like that. to stand up like and, and and and, right. and and thank you and i'm giving to you and i'm giving you permission to rise back up with a full heart you don't have to be full of shame you don't have to be full of of fear um be the be the beautiful um right that, that, that's, existence that you are that's a benevolent king. in other words like often we think of a king as, as somebody on top again the same thing a person on top who is control of our life and like they're essentially like we are being dehumanized right we are losing our neshama before them we are now just things well the neshama doesn't work that way like an actual melech a true melech is the person who views all the people in and melech below am he it, we are extensions of him of his self so we are actually we are powered by him and so then and, and we are now able to be fully activated as powerful selves who are now the messengers of the king and we walk around with the authority of the king literally radiating out of us now i think I mean, the, right and, and i think the bowing like the the exactly how you said it like it's almost like the antenna has to be um has to be properly modulated i would say because mm-hmm. the issue is that you know that same dichotomy of the neshama and the attributes is that the Torah doesn't say you are the neshama and the attributes are just other than you. You're right. actually the totality of that. Exactly. Because you can't be an evolving self without attributes that allow you to make progress. So paradoxically, we are both a neshama that is one with Hashem and there is no separation. And at the same time, we have this tzimtzum of these attributes that make us experience ourselves as other than Hashem. And that's both of those are 100% true. So we have to, so we stand tall as aspects of Hashem, but the problem is that when you stand tall, too much, then you start. That's that's why it, there's even different opinions in halacha that you're supposed to be a little bit bent, right? Monastery, right yep. To make sure this isn't a problem, but other opinions are saying that say, let's say you actually have to stand completely tall because you're supposed to be an antenna, and they're both dealing with the Some same thing. Some might things. even say that there's times for these and well, times exactly, for that. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and that's what the bowing is, right? The the, the idea of bowing is to say I'm get, I'm now going to bend myself and look down and and put my heart in a lower place to kind of like um, properly put the attribute side, the side of the body, the side of the separation in its place so it doesn't rise up and push too far the other way. And then I start to say, yeah, well, I can stand tall because I'm someone and it's about me. Well, I think it also creates an opportunity for us to to kind of check in and, and see where am I at? Am right. I am I functioning exactly. from a place of, of haughtiness of ego, or have I have I collapsed a little bit too much? Right. And do I think that I'm not worthy? 
and, and recognizing where, where is the body comfortable in these familiar movements that, that we repeat over and over again, we can learn about ourselves and we can become aware of where, where we have opportunities for work and, right. and healing. That really shows how this is, all these halachos are designed to take stock of the das tovara dynamics where you go a little too far this way because we are capable of it we can easily veer into a Mm -hmm. little bit too much of any particular direction so it's to kind of keep things all the parts kind of in their place essentially alignment right it's alignment yeah Yeah. all right that went well um okay so uh we'll wrap with that but i think um for next time we have a bunch of things to come back to for other tefillah body type things embodiment in tefillah besides just the actual positions of the body themselves and uh, we're also we were just discussing we hopefully will be able to do sometime soon we have ideas for doing retreats, Shabbatons. Absolutely. A lot of the uh, concepts that we're talking about, I mean, it's so wonderful that we can do this through audio podcasts and even through visual right. um, um, videos, but but being able to spend more than 50 minutes and and really open it up and and experience and practice different techniques that we can do, Bezrat Hashem. You know, lighting candles and going going into Shabbat and into Tefillah um, from from an embodied awareness place is going to be awesome. Yeah. So, so your, let us know if you're interested. Keep your eyes peeled <laughs> for that. There'll be updates about that soon. And if anybody has yes, feedback again, more suggestions, requests, we're happy to take all those. Check out uh, each of our Ariella's is yogawithariella.com. Uh, check me out at yesodblocks.com. And uh, hope you enjoyed this content. And looking forward to having you join us for the next episode.